You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Metro Vancouver's transit strike is about to go from major inconvenience to major crisis if they can't get a deal done soon. Grace Key is live in Burnaby now with the details of a full-scale shutdown planned for next week. And Grace, the union says this is not a stunt. No, they are serious. They made the announcement this morning at their headquarters. And like you said, we are talking about a full-scale shutdown on the buses and the sea buses that are going to be starting next Wednesday for three days with workers on the picket lines. We will engage in a complete system shutdown on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of next week. If the job action didn't affect your bus route before, it's about to hit it hard next week. Unifor announcing there will be no sea buses or buses running for three days starting next Wednesday. The power that the workers have is the power ultimately to withdraw their labour. Uh, we didn't rush to this step. It's almost three weeks that we're moving into this right now. We've been working full-time shifts, but eventually something has to give. TransLink says this will have a devastating impact on the 350,000 passengers who rely on buses every weekday. When we're talking a full-scale shutdown, there is very limited options we have to make a significant difference for commuters who are going to be affected. This will be frustrating. People will not be able to get to work, to school. They will not be able to go about their daily business. Wages continue to be a sticking point with Coast Mountain saying both sides are about $150 million apart. Under the current offer, transit operators would see a wage boost of $6,000 over the next four years, bringing their annual salaries to just short of $70,000. They tell the public that there is no need to compare driver compensation to Toronto or Edmonton, but it's certainly okay to do that when those so important executives are looking to justify their own outrageous wages. When it comes to finding the money for wage increases, passengers were mixed on it coming from fair hikes. No, not really. I feel it's already fairly expensive already. A small increase, it's uh, no biggie. No, <laughs> not at all. Because we're already paying too much as it is. They make our life easier, so if they ask more, I'm willing to pay more. So Unifor is also going to be holding a rally next Thursday, November 28th. That's going to be at 1 p.m. outside of TransLink headquarters in New Westminster. Now, this is also going to be coinciding with the mayor's council meeting, and they are asking the public to attend as well. Chris? All right. Could be dramatic. We'll stay on top of that. Thanks very much, Grace. Of course, the threat of a full-scale shutdown certainly raises the political stakes uh, mm -hmm. And in Victoria, Keith Baldry joins us now to talk about some of the government options. Keith, the premier is already on record as saying any transit strike is not going to be as long as the last one. No, certainly not. That one was 123 days. I don't think this one's going to last terribly long. Uh, but uh, no surprise, it was the dominant issue in question period today. Uh, some fireworks, rather raucous exchanges between BC Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson and a guy a lot of people haven't heard of up until now, but you're going to be seeing a lot and hearing a lot from him in the weeks ahead. And that's Labour Minister Harry Baines. 
What does this minister think is going to happen when the transit system shuts down entirely next Wednesday through Friday and he sits in his office here in Victoria and takes his car to Surrey and says, I guess that's tough, it's because of the collective bargaining process. What are people supposed to do in a city of two and a half million people while this minister sits on his duff and does no work at all? Mr. Speaker, the opposition would like you to believe that somehow they pretend to care about the ridership the people who ride the transit, Mr. Speaker. But they didn't care about the transit riders. When the mayors came to them for help, they said, suck it up. They didn't care about the riders, Mr. Speaker, when the expansion to south of the Fraser was being discussed. Members. And they and the Premier at that time said, well, we'll have a referendum. As a result, Mr. Speaker, 10 years have gone by. We have nothing to show for South the Fraser, thanks to them. Who says politics is boring, <laughs> Keith? Question yeah. period theatrics aside, though, did the Labour Minister drop any clues at all about when the government might intervene if necessary? Now, Harry Baines is rightly uh, playing his, holding his cards close to his vest. Uh, he tells me he doesn't want to give any signal at all to either side that he may intervene here because he thinks that could wreck any chance of having a deal at the negotiating table. Now, it's going to get tricky next week, Chris, because the legislature rises on Thursday. That's the end of the session. Uh, and, and a number of MLAs on all sides of the House have Christmas vacations booked that will take them out of province, which means if there's going to be an imposed uh, solution here and likely a 90-day uh, uh, cooling off period would be the most likely thing. It would mean the House would have to come back and getting everybody in from a Christmas vacation may prove to be fairly difficult, which tells me if we're looking at a, a legislative solution, we're probably looking in the first week of de uh, December to extend the session to deal with this. But it's going to be a lively time around here next week as we get ready for that shutdown on, over on your side. It sure sounds like it. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Right. A quick footnote to this, too. Students will be among those hardest hit by any full-scale transit strike, and the Internet is providing some early hints as to what some students might have to resort to. Discussion has started among UBC students on Reddit about how they might handle a transit strike. Specifically, they are discussing the best places to camp out on the UBC campus to make sure they can get to classes on time. A Calgary man has been vindicated after a 14-month fight over what he felt was an unfair SkyTrain ticket. Carl Nunu received a $173 fine in September 2018 for following a friend through the fare gates at Stadium Station. Nunu paid for his fare, but his ticket failed to activate the gates. Surveillance shows him trying twice to tap the gate open. Transit police reviewed his case and refused to cancel the ticket because the elements of the offense were met. Nunu fought the fine in court, but a judge found that even though he paid, he broke the law. Lawyer Kyla Lee later took on Nunu's case pro bono. Crown conceded the appeal today and Nunu's conviction was quashed. Oh, I felt great. You know, it's always good to feel that justice has been served, right? So it was a good news. You know, if you know you have a valid ticket, contact Translate and fight for it. The conviction is overturned. The, the ticket itself is dismissed. So the entire proceeding has come to an end. There's no longer any conviction. And I expect that the fine sh that should be returned to him through the registry probably in about six to eight weeks. A collective sigh of relief tonight from residents of a Vancouver apartment building 
after today's verdict in the trial of an elderly man accused of killing two of their neighbors. 75-year-old Leonard Landrick was convicted of second-degree murder. But as Ramina Dea reports, the legal wrangling is far from over. A stunning conclusion to this murder trial, which I haven't seen in 20 years of reporting. After delivering guilty verdicts against Leonard Landrick, an unusual twist. The jury has been excused by the judge, but not discharged. They could be back. During the trial, 75-year-old Landrick took the stand in his own defense, claiming the two victims, his neighbors, drugged and raped him weeks before the killings. Sandra McInnes, 57, and Neil Croker, 51, were found stabbed to death in their beachfront apartments in English Bay in July 2017. Defense counsel asked the judge not to enter the guilty verdicts because they want to present an NCRMD defense, not criminally responsible due to mental disorder. Crown disagreed, saying there's no foundation for an NCR defense. It will be up to the judge to decide. So for now, the guilty verdicts are on hold. The jury could be ordered to reconvene. Romina Dea, Global News. A major spike in the theft of auto parts from parked vehicles in Coquitlam has RCMP warning car owners. Police say the theft of catalytic converters is up a staggering 335%. In one case back in July, two vehicles were badly damaged when sparks from a cutting tool started a fire. Police say between August and November of last year, there were just four thefts of catalytic converters. During the same period so far this year, there have been 44. We're not sure why the numbers are up so much. We know there are precious metals in catalytic converters. Uh, Palladium and rhodium, for instance, have become more valuable. But we're not sure exactly why we've seen such a spike in the last year or two. We all have catalytic converters. They're fairly easy to steal. So get some good lighting and some security cameras you know how to use and put the pair together. Park in a well-lit area. If you do have a garage or a locked compound, use it. Investigators are appealing for any information that can help them confirm the cause of a fire that could very easily have been fatal. Several people were rescued from an apartment building in Marpole early Tuesday morning. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, witnesses reported seeing young people playing with fireworks just moments before it started. Behind yellow police tape, the Pentagon apartments are empty. 19 families forced from their homes after a fire in the early morning hours Tuesday. The fire that gutted the apartment started outside. Witnesses say the trees near the building caught fire after a group of young adults lit off some fireworks. I woke up to fireworks going off and young people screaming and yelling, specifically a young lady who was more, she was louder than the rest of them. And then a second fireworks went off right at Heather and Marine. And this is what I got up to look out my window, and the trees across the street were fully engulfed in flames. Seven people were rescued from the building while it burned, including two that were taken to hospital. One 33-year-old man is still listed in serious condition. Vancouver police are now investigating this fire. It's far too early to, uh, for us to say whether or not uh, this fire was intentionally started or whether it was the result of unintended consequences. We don't believe for a second that um, anybody intended for this amount of damage uh, to happen. Uh, and that's why we're appealing to anybody with information uh, to call us, uh, to come forward, to do the right thing. 
Earlier this month, Vancouver City Council passed a bylaw banning fireworks sales by 2021. Considering the damage to the building on Heather Street, one councillor says maybe that timeline needs to be brought forward. The extended deadline was really an effort to to offer a little bit of protection to the 43 assorted retail pop-up shops that operate in the city of Vancouver and give those retailers a little bit of a cushion uh, against against just an outright closure, but maybe we have to just move faster on this if it really does turn out to be the case. VPD Major Crimes now taking over the investigation of this fire. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A very close call for a driver in Delta overnight. Witnesses say the car lost control and burst into flames before crashing into a concrete median. Somehow, the driver managed to get out. The cause of that fire and the crash is still under investigation. Well, you'll remember it was one year ago today the B.C. legislature was thrown into turmoil when the legislative clerk and the sergeant-at-arms were suddenly and unceremoniously escorted out of the building. The spending scandal that's unfolded since has been unprecedented in B.C. history. Richard Zussman reports on where we are now and the massive legal bill uh, B.C. taxpayers might have to pay. The wood splitter still sits outside the B.C. legislature, a year after former clerk Craig James and Sergeant-at-Arms Gary Lenz were escorted from the legislature. It's still the symbol of the ongoing legislature spending scandal. Looking back, Speaker Daryl Pleca says there's still work needed to restore public trust. My hope is that we'll be in an even better place uh, a year from now. James and Lenz have both retired since they were put on administrative leave a year ago. A big part of restoring that trust is the active police investigation into the allegations Plekis brought forward. You know, hopefully by spring we will have something, you know, visible. Uh, I think that needs to be out there to give people confidence. The scandal has not only eroded that trust, but comes with a hefty bill. I wouldn't be surprised after all said and done and after we're paying defense bills. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it went over a million dollars. Pleka says it's worth it if it leads to cracking down on a broken system, adding he isn't convinced we should be covering the legal costs of anyone who is found to have egregiously broken the rules. It's a bit awkward to say that we should be paying for legal bills for an investigation where someone was determined to have lied in the course of that investigation. New rules are in place around travel for legislature staff, but government house leader Mike Farnworth acknowledges more needs to be done. Well, I think uh, you know a lot of issues have been addressed and are going to, uh, and, and the work on addressing uh, impl- uh, recommendations that haven't been fully implemented is still uh, very much underway. Both Lenz and James insist they have never lied, although independent reports have both said they breached the public yeah, trust. And, and James has not spoken publicly since his retirement, but Lenz has. I've done nothing wrong. I've followed the rules and the policies that have been laid out by Parliament for the Sergeant-at-Arms. Pleka says his office still has more information that he believes will prove once and for all that not just Lenz but others did do a lot wrong, but says that will have to wait for another day. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Right now, though, UBC has announced it's cancelling its student exchange program in Hong Kong for Term 2 because of the ongoing violence between police and pro-democracy protesters. UBC says it had 31 students in Hong Kong attending four different universities. 
They've all been contacted and advised to leave. The university says 20 have left and the rest are either planning to leave or are staying with family. The students who are leaving have been offered a $1,000 emergency bursary to help with their travel costs. We're working with our partner institutions and universities in Hong Kong to determine if our students can complete their term from a distance to ensure that they receive the academic credit that they have worked so hard for. BC's Iranian community is on edge tonight with many people unable to communicate with family back in Iran for the past four days. The government shut down the internet during violent protests over gas prices and the communication breakdown has many fearing for the safety of their loved ones. Leila Davoudi and Fariba Machet have not spoken with their family in Iran for nearly a week. Cell phone videos offer only a glimpse of what's happening on the ground and what they see brings them to tears. I saw this picture of 20 years old boy, beautiful boy in Shiraz and he got killed. These are the images keeping Machet and Davoudi up at night. What's more, Iran is in the midst of an internet blackout, access denied by the Iranian government. When I look at my uh, WhatsApp and see whoever I have there, they're offline. Like I feel like it's silence, like a dead silent there. Blackout follows protests sparked when the Iranian government cut fuel subsidies and the cost of gasoline spiked. Demonstrations are widespread as the nation's 80 million citizens struggle under even more burdensome American sanctions reinstated by President Trump. A move that led to the collapse of Iran's oil exports, sending the country's currency plummeting. Oh, it's pretty unprecedented. Basma Momani is a university professor and senior fellow with the Center for International Governance and Innovation. She says the government's move to cut people off is part of a dangerous trend. I think many you know, authoritarian governments are learning now from Iran how to really quell protests and attempt to just shut all news coming in and out of the country. But it's remarkable, uh, certainly in terms of the extent of it. According to the 2016 census, over 200,000 Iranians call Canada home. In Metro Vancouver, the Iranian community is planning a rally this weekend, hoping to spur everyone to action. I want the government, I want the people here to also stand up with me, with people of Iran, and be the voice for them. Nadia Stewart, Global News. New video of BC Ferry's first two hybrid electric ships now on their way to BC. The ferries left the shipyard in Romania today, carried by a semi-submersible vessel that'll partially sink again when it arrives, allowing the ferries to be floated off the deck. The trip will take a little more than a month. BC Ferry says by mid-next year, the new ships will be deployed on the Powell River, Texada Island, and Port, McNe uh, Port McNeil Alert Bay, Sointula routes. Wishing them a safe voyage. Now, illegal fishing and other seagoing crimes are a threat to ocean health and a stable food supply. And now there's an app that lets anyone report what they see. It's called Spyglass. And Linda Aylesworth shows us who's behind it and how it works. Pressure on the world's wild fish stocks is taking a frightening toll. Today we know that a third of fish stocks globally are overexploited, which means that we're beyond the levels or the sustainable levels that we should be at, and illegal fishing does not help. 
Those who fish illegally don't care if a species is exploited and collapsing, not if it has some monetary value. But cracking down on the problem isn't easy. It's very difficult to monitor the waters of the global oceans. Illegal fishing is a plague that is helped and transmitted because of a lack of information on it. And so at EcoTrust in Vancouver, Dr. Bel Habib, a fisheries expert, has dedicated the last three years to creating a tool that might help. We have launched um, spyglass.fish, which is a platform that is meant to document illegal fishing and other criminal activities on board fishing vessels and by their fishing companies globally. So the pink color that you see is illegal fishing uh, or fishing without an authorization. And the orange color that you see all over here um, is bycatch and species related, for example, shark finning. And then there are the categories that don't seem to have anything to do with illegal fishing, like human rights abuses. Most of the time, human trafficking and slavery on board fishing vessels is linked with illegal fishing and overfishing as well. She gathered the names of offending vessels and their companies from government and law enforcement sources and hopes that making it available online will help, particularly where vessels that cross from country to country are concerned. And that kind of information is really vital for some authorities and some countries to know before they give a license to a fishing vessel or a fishing company. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The dash cam video is fuzzy, but you can still see and hear the impact when an Amtrak train slams into a car that was stopped on the tracks in New Jersey. The 23-year-old driver was allegedly drunk, but luckily got out of the car in time. The video is from a patrol car. The officers clearly parked it in the wrong spot. Well, the most explosive testimony yet at the impeachment inquiry into Donald Trump's actions with Ukraine has occurred. European Union Ambassador Gordon Sondland, once a major donor to Trump's inauguration, telling investigators that the president and his lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, explicitly sought a quid pro quo with Ukraine over military aid. The name Gordon Sondland has come up at every turn in the impeachment inquiry. Now it's his turn. Do you swear or affirm? The U.S. ambassador to the European Union delivering bombshell testimony that directly ties President Trump to a pressure campaign in Ukraine. Was there a quid pro quo? As I testified previously, with regard to the requested White House call and the White House meeting, the answer is yes. Ambassador Sondland says the quid pro quo was this. Ukraine's president would get the White House meeting he wanted if he publicly promised to investigate a discredited theory about 2016 election interference and a company tied to Joe Biden's son. Who would benefit from an investigation of the Bidens? I assume President Trump would benefit. There we have it, see? <laughs> Ambassador Sondland denying what other witnesses have described as back-channel diplomacy in Ukraine, saying the Secretary of State, Vice President, and others knew what was happening. Everyone was in the loop. And Sondland said he came to believe Ukraine wouldn't get the military aid it needed until it announced the investigations. Two plus two equaled four in my mind at that point. Republicans emphasizing he never heard that directly from the president. It was a presumption. And Ukraine did nothing but still got its aid. You got all three of them wrong. They get the call, they get the meeting, they get the money. It's not two plus two, it's 0 for three. 
Ambassador Sondland acknowledged President Trump told him directly there was no quid pro quo. The president echoing those words today. I want nothing. I want nothing. I want no quid pro quo. But Sondland's testimony raises the question, did President Trump's words match his actions? Alice Barr, NBC News, Washington. In Canadian politics, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has unveiled his new liberal cabinet. Four B.C. members of Parliament will serve in the inner circle. Harjit Sajjan remains as Minister of National Defence, while former Fisheries and Oceans Minister Jonathan, uh, Jonathan Wilkinson will move to the Ministry of Environment and Climate Change. Joyce Murray, the MP for Vancouver Quadra, has been appointed Minister of Digital Government. And Delta MP Carla Qualtro has been moved to the Ministry of Employment, Workforce Development and Disability Inclusion. Another major development tonight in the latest scandal plaguing the British royal family. Faced with blistering criticism over his relationship with accused pedophile Jeffrey Epstein, Prince Andrew has announced he's stepping back from his royal duties. Global's Redmond Shannon reports. Since the interview first aired on British TV Saturday night, Prince Andrew has come in for widespread criticism for the answers he gave about his relationship with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein and allegations that a 17-year-old was forced to have sex with him, something he has always denied. In a statement, he says the Queen has given her permission for him to step back from public duties for the foreseeable future. It also says Epstein's suicide has left many unanswered questions, particularly for the victims, and I deeply sympathise with everyone who has been affected. Of course, I am willing to help any appropriate law enforcement agency with their investigations, if required. In the past few days, numerous charities and companies have disassociated themselves from Prince Andrew, including the Rideau Hall Foundation in Canada. They are concerned about Prince Andrew's answers in the interview, like when he tried to explain why he stayed at the house of the sex offender for four days. It was definitely the wrong thing to do, um, but at the time I felt it was the, the honourable and right thing to do. Prince Andrew's statement comes just hours after it emerged that the Duke may have first met Jeffrey Epstein in the early 1990s and not in the year 1999, as he stated in the TV interview. Redmond Shannon, Global News, London. In health matters, when it's a struggle just to afford the necessities of life, dental care is often neglected. That's why the Union Gospel Mission is expanding a program to provide oral health care to those well beyond the downtown east side. Catherine Urquhart shows us why it's a game changer for the clients they serve. Crown fracture into two five, recession, one millimeter. Dental students Tim Supan and Yara Abu Fayeh carefully inspect Dwight Harvey's mouth and teeth, doing so inside a hall, which for the day has been transformed into a makeshift dentist's office. Wonderful. I need to do this like three years ago. So this is huge. Generalized spongy. Today's visit is free for Dwight and several others, thanks to a partnership between the Union Gospel Mission and UBC's School of Dentistry. After nearly a decade, the community-engaged learning program is expanding. The thing that's new this year is that we're doing an outreach. The students have been doing an outreach to our UGM location in New Westminster. Threes all the way across for the next two. So far, the program has provided dental care to thousands of individuals who are low-income 
or homeless. For some, there can be more dental disease, whether that be gum disease or cavities. Um, sometimes we see more oral lesions, but everyone actually could have these problems. They just tend to, to be a little bit more in number. Fortunately, Dwight's checkup turns out to be pain-free and there are no major issues. You look happy. Yeah, I am happy, very happy. It's a good way to feel. <laughs> Dwight truly grateful to benefit from the expanding program as it continues assisting those in need. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The heartbreaking cries of a koala burned by Australia's wildfires after the forecast, the reunion with its rescuer, and an update on the little guy's condition, too. But amazing to see the wildfires there. Let's check in on the frosty conditions around here. Here's Christy Gordon with a look at your forecast. Christy. It's all thanks to the clear skies. Sorry, Chris, I didn't mean yeah. to jump in there, but thanks so much. Yes, it's all thanks to the clear skies. This is not the current conditions out there, by the way. I took this snapshot uh, during the sunset in case you missed it. There you go. So yes, clear skies means a lot of frost across the region. We're expecting it again tonight. It's going to get cold and I'll show you the temperatures in a second. First, though, some incredible photos from Prince George and Spears. Great name for these spears of frost, Anne. Uh, so this is soft rime frost and uh, certain conditions that create soft rime, but really incredible to see these spears on uh, all the branches, the berries there, as you can see. So what you need is certainly temperatures below or near freezing, but you also need fog and calm winds. And then it's that moisture from the fog that creates those spears as it is sort of accumulates. So incredible uh, photos. Thank you to Anne for sharing this. those photos. You may see it again tonight as you drop down to minus six metro vancouver colder than last night we'll see zero degrees expect a lot of frost on the ground very icy again tomorrow morning and friday also and the kids will certainly need to bundle up likely only three degrees when they're heading to school eight as our daytime high for tomorrow two days of clear skies for the most part other than a little bit of high level cloud before this system tracks down towards the south coast later in the day on friday so increasing cloud with rain still expected for our weekend every one, but it does mean snow for the mountains. Here's a look at your tomorrow. So rainfall for northern regions, inland regions, sunshine once again. Again, two days of sunshine before the rain pushes in over the weekend. Yes, our Saturday. So eight degrees as our high for tomorrow. That is seasonal for this time of year. Increasing cloud on Friday with rain building Friday night through Saturday. Sunday is still a chance of showers, but it looks like there's some sunshine in the mix there as well for Sunday. Nice shot from a dandy of a day from Alexander Fontaine in mission today. All that frost melted in that shot, obviously. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. So the Australian woman seen in a viral video removing her shirt to help rescue a koala from a wildfire visited that bear today at an animal hospital. Good morning. Good morning. How's Luke? Australian hospital Thank workers you. giving Tony Doherty a hero's welcome. Just 24 hours earlier, the bear was caught in a dangerous wildfire burned and with nowhere to go. Doherty doused him with water, gave him something to drink, and then took him to the koala hospital. He's now named Lewis after one of her seven grandchildren. He'll probably be kept in a facility and become part of a breeding program there because he's too badly injured to ever be released. But he is on the mend. Aww. So cute. Well done, Lewis. <laughs> Squires back with sports. Dreams of a Stanley Cup championship to go along with the NBA championship are 
Not dead yet. But well, no, not dead yet, because when you think of it last year, around this time, the St. Louis Blues fired their head coach. Mm-hmm. And in January, they were dead last in the NHL in the standings. And then, of course, they got a good young goalie, and that changed everything. Now, there's a lot of people in this town and probably in this country who don't want to see the Toronto Maple Leafs do the same thing. But then again, there are a lot of people in Leafs Nation, and some of them exist in this town. You can tell every time the Maple Leafs pay a visit to Vancouver. Uh, when the highest paid coach can't get the highest paid team to win, the coach is the one who has to go. And that's why the Toronto Maple Leafs fired Mike Babcock today and replaced him with minor league coach Sheldon Keefe. Babcock was not hired by current GM Kyle Dubas. He was hired by Brendan Shanahan. Keefe is more Dubas's guy and someone who was always considered the coach in waiting, a former NHLer as well. So it was the boss, Brendan Shanahan, who flew out to meet the Maple Leafs on the road trip and make the move. Um, but our game is not really meeting our expectations. We're, we're, we're mistake prone on defense. Uh, the attention to details aren't there. And even the offense that our team, the explosive offense our team has, was known for, has been missing uh, for a while now. So there's a lot of work for Sheldon to do, and there's a lot of work for the players to do, and they understand that. But we really believe in them. We believe in the players that we have here. Uh, we believe in Sheldon, obviously, in uh, making this decision. Um, and so we're still optimistic that we're going to get it back on track. Mike Babcock's last game as a Maple Leafs coach was also the uh, 450th win for goaltender Marc-Andre Fleury in his NHL career. And if you're going to win 450, and if you're going to get a legendary coach fired, you might as well do it in spectacular style. Is this the save of the year so far? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Oh, I know. Stay with it. Yeah, Flurry looked like a shortstop on that play. Diving catch to keep the Golden Knights in front, and they would eventually win this game, but then we all know the aftermath of this. All right. The Canucks were uh, Christmas sweater ugly in Dallas last night, losing 6-1 of the Stars. Uh, it continues this November swoon. And it's starting to feel like an annual event in Vancouver. Next stop on the six-game road trip is Nashville tomorrow. But I do have good news for the Canucks and their fans. Because as bad as Vancouver's November has been, it's not as bad as the Nashville Predators. Actually, the Canucks beat the Nashville Predators recently at Rogers Arena. The Predators have a worse record this month than the Canucks, if that means anything. Uh, Montreal-Ottawa this evening. And the puck just keeps bouncing around until it finds a stick of Nick Suzuki. one nothing on the power play for Montreal. J.G. Pajot. Tipping in the Tyler Ennis shot. Last check, 1-1 in the second period. So we talked about this last night. Garnet Hathaway of the Washington Capitals has been suspended three games for spitting at Ducks defenseman Eric Goodbranson. Said he felt bad about it afterwards. Said the emotion of the moment just got the better of him. He actually just got sucker punched by Goodbranson when he spit at him. Now, why does he get three games? I'm not saying he shouldn't get three games. Why does he get a three-game suspension? And Brad Marsham was going around licking people a couple of years ago, and he didn't get a suspension. Strange. Uh, Axel Schuster is now the boss of the Vancouver Whitecaps. He's had his press conference. He's had all the congratulations. But now it's time to get down to the job he was hired to do. Build this team to prominence, something the Whitecaps really haven't reached since it joined Major League Soccer. 
I'm here because I'm convinced that I have the tools in my box uh, to, to make all the things happen. Of course, it is uh, a new starting point. It is um, a moment where we want to to uh, open a new chapter in the club. As you've noticed, Axel Schuster is a glass half full kind of person. In his first week on the job, he's barely put his phone down or stopped watching video of potential players sent to him by agents. He's also immersed himself in getting a feel for the club that he's been hired to guide and improve as the Whitecaps sporting director. And let's not kid ourselves here, Schuster has his hands full. It's not my first idea to make a lot of changes again because there have been a development even in the worst season uh, last season. I absolutely support step-by-step -step development and we want to make development by sustainability and uh, to, to change everything around uh, in every transfer period do not help for that. So we should make it step-by-step. -step. We have to change some key positions and we have to, to be good at that. Um, but if we, if in the first step, if we do that, then I would be happy. Can he get the service in? This is a franchise in desperate need of stability. After releasing 18 players and bringing in 22 new faces, it's not surprising the Caps went 8, 16, and 10 this past season. Their worst on-field performance since joining MLS as an expansion side. Just don't expect any overnight quick fixes. Same goes for breaking the bank on a marquee signing or two. The important thing is that we are really clear with our profiles. We, we need players that exactly meet our profiles, our philosophy. And we, and we only want to sign players who really want to be here because they are also convinced that that is the next step in their career. And we are really open to show them a pathway to bigger leagues in Europe. What's your one message for your supporters heading into the 2020 season? That we want to do everything that the games become more attractive and that there's no reason to stay at home, that it is a must to come to the stadium. Um, they should see our work ethic. They should know that we want to do, uh, that, that we always push ourselves to do everything to get results, that we will work hard, that we want to give them a good show, but I cannot promise uh, that we win every game. You gotta look it up. Good luck uh, yeah, in German. Yeah, I know. I was gonna say gut, guten Gemütlichkeit, maybe. Okay. I don't know. No. All right. Gotta go. Here's just new report for tonight. One Mountain opening tomorrow. First, though, Whistler Blackcomb opening next week on November 28th. Cypress, December 14th. Revelstoke, November 30th. Big White and Silver Star, November 28th. Sun Peaks, November 23rd. Apex, December 7th. Mount Washington still waiting to find an opening date. Whitewater, December 6th. Red Mountain, December 12th. And Powder King is the one that's opening tomorrow. Hearing the soundtrack of a lot of memories with the passing of John Mann from Spirit of the West today. He was 57 years old. Yes, early onset Alzheimer's went way, way, way too young. A lot of great bands have played the Commodore. I think they played it around 40 times, Spirit of the West. When they played it, very few got it rocking like they did. Only those who saw John Mann and Spirit of the West live can truly understand just what this man and his band could do to an audience. Even if you didn't know many of their songs, their infectious sound would put you in tune with all of those around you. John Mann was a definition of multi-talented. You have to excuse me, I'm not in my 
Beyond his singing and his songwriting career, he was also an actor on stage and on screen and an activist and very public about his fight with early onset Alzheimer's. You talk so openly about this and such, with such ease, um, like you've accepted what's happening, but are there times when you're still angry about it? No. Sad though. You get sad sometimes. Yeah. Man was someone everyone who knew him gravitated to. A musician who didn't need to be world famous to make an impact with his songs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of musicians came together from all different genres uh, to help him out uh, financially as it's well true. when he was fighting the disease. Yeah, well our, known in that community. Our thoughts, well obviously. Loved. Yeah, go out to his family. Thanks for watching. Have a great night. Good night.